0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a
1: month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast with the Irish Examiner. My guest today is well-known chef and restauranter Ross Lewis. Over the last 20 years or so, Ross, who's a native of Cork, has built up a business in Dublin that now includes Chapter One, which has been the recipient of Michelin Stars, and the Osteria Lucio restaurant in the Docklands area of Dublin, known as the Google Quarter. He's also somebody I know for the last near 40 years, I think, myself, so it's a pleasure to have him on the podcast to talk about how life is for restaurants in the midst of the current emergency. Ross, you're very welcome to the podcast. Hiya Mick, delighted to be on. Uh, I didn't describe you as a celebrity chef, there are enough of those around, but you have cooked for celebrities no less than the Queen when she visited here, Ross. Did you get the Royal Seal of Approval?
0: Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. Um, so certainly um, it was a you know a major event, I suppose, in my career. And uh, you know, I've often cooked for, for, for plenty of... Um, important people, but a cooking for the Queen, uh, I suppose, on that very historic visit, uh, visit of the first reigning monarch since Queen Victoria, you know, that was a great feather in the cap and like, Mick, you know, you know it's like, you know, one, once you get one cap, uh, it's like getting a cap for Ireland. Once you get it, they can never take it away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So the man says,
0: <laughs> I'll probably die in a while on that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and why wouldn't you? No, Ross, Big issue at the moment in terms of your business is the think draft guidelines that you out in terms of social distancing. We've already had recommendations from the chief medical officer Tony Holohan. This week he was in with the cabinet explaining to them why he feels that we should maintain the two meters um, minimum sort of distance for social distancing, or rather than down to one, which is the case in many countries. It has huge relevance for the restaurant sector, doesn't it?
0: Well, I mean, you know, the worrying thing, I suppose, for, for us is that, you know, I suppose, to say from the outset, that we're all kind of in a, a, a sense uh, of suspended, kind of cocooned in suspended animation. But I think when everybody starts to try to reopen their businesses, and we're talking about an entire industry here, and everybody's going to be on a very personal, uh, on a very personal journey, depending on what business cycle you're in and sort of where you are, your country. Are you suburban? in you city? Are you, reliant on tourism totally? Uh, what's your mix of custom? Uh, will you get the domestic balance back? So on, and so forth. You know. But the the bottom line is that uh, for restaurants you know, we are a people-to-people business. And, you know, if you take, say, Chapter 1, for instance, there are no less than 35 people working there, and we serve about 750 covers a week. So, you know, this kind of pandemic, I suppose, couldn't be worse for the restaurant industry. So we're acutely affected. And, of course, I suppose what everybody, you know, who even employed one person, you know, wants to really know is that when can we reopen our businesses? How can we reopen them? And is there a future for us? Uh, and I suppose, you know, the, the drifting thing is is difficult. It's it's for, for somebody who's used to making, I suppose, business decisions on a daily basis to drift is, is tricky. I, I think there's a famous US admiral who, who said, you know, that Sam um, you may sail With the wind at your back, you may sail into the wind, but but you may never drift. And I suppose if you're kind of drifting, you have nothing to focus your attention on.
1: Just in terms of the actual one or two metre rule, I mean, for example, in terms of your businesses, what would be the practical difference between having to arrange according to one metre or two metres?
0: So here's the thing, I suppose, going back, if you have a large premises and you say had uh, 100 seats, you could be down, obviously, then to 50 seats. In our case, we'd probably be going from about 85, 90 seats down to about 45 with a two meter rule. So that's kind of okay in the sense that, you know, in an upmarket restaurant, they kind of know what spend per head there is going to be but if you had a smaller medium sized restaurant you could be going from a model that usually sits 35 or 40 seats down to a model that's you know only seating 12, 12 people at a time and that's completely unsustainable having said that even for some a large person an owner of a large restaurant such as chapter 1 going down to what could at your best is going to be 50% of maximum capacity is going to be massively problematic because essentially the business model in a restaurant is that there is a huge high level of costs which really whittle down to kind of a small net margin so there isn't the large net margin at the end of this in order to deal with you know much less capacity therefore much less turnover and so if you take my costs for instance 30 the biggest cost in my checkbook is the is, is my labor which is coming in at between thirty four and 38 percent, and then my food costs, wine costs, and then you have, you know, rents rates and you know heaps of cost uh, on the end of that. So really if you think about normal business and a restaurant is only half full, those restaurants anecdotally just don't survive.
1: And what about Ross if it was one meter as opposed to two?
0: Well, if it was one meter then, I mean, we would probably be talking about possibly because, you know, chapter one, for instance, as a model, you know, we don't necessarily see people, you know, on top of each other because we have a bit of space. And I suppose when people are paying a premium from their dining experience, you know, they don't want that anyway. You know, so we could probably do 65 covers out of 85 if it's a one meter. And that really sets the ball back in motion for us and the other aspect to it of course is that you know it as as i said it's very labor intensive so working in kitchens together and putting up kind of complex plates of food really necessitates that you know you're close enough to one another and being two meters from somebody at all times whether you're in the kitchen you're taking somebody's coat, you're serving somebody, et cetera, et cetera, is going to be extremely difficult
1: for our industry. As you mentioned, your chapter one restaurant, which is, as you say, probably be at the, at the high end of the, of the sector. But you also have, have, have the Italian restaurant. I've been in there myself and it is more um, compact. Uh, th- that type of model, as, as would be an awful lot of restaurants, do you think that type of model can survive?
0: You see, I suppose what's happened in the industry over the last 10 years, Michael, is that in actual fact, there's, you know, there's been a lot of young sort of chefs gone out and they, they you know, everybody that I comes through chapter one, anecdotally, when, when I ask the chefs, you know, what, why you in this business, you know, they first of all say, because they want to own their own restaurant. After that, they might say that, you know, that they love food and then they love travel. And and you've had, after the last recession, an awful lot of young chefs have gone out and established themselves. Now, the, the new business model in the in the industry has tended to be one that has kept labor low. So you're seeing a lot of 30, 40 seaters, two or three in the kitchen, two or three out front, set menus, you know, you can get a four course meal or five course for 50, 60 euros giving some value because there 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 are there are uh, they can cut costs quite easily. Uh, very few people have established you know large restaurants such as like Le Carvan, Gilbo's, chapter 1 so on and so forth. So the new model has tended to be a much smaller size premises. So now here comes along the covid pandemic and that is is a massive problem for for small and medium sized restaurants, you know. Um, and you know you you'd have to think like if if pubs can open up again and will, because a good portion of their their turnover is food, then you know you could see a scenario under the two meter rule where seventy eighty percent of restaurants cannot reopen. And the large super pubs can reopen as restaurants. So, you know, the market's going to get very
1: skewed. It is. And you mentioned earlier, Ross, in, in terms of the business cycle. And, and as I said, you've been there well over 20 years. I think you're fairly established now through sheer hard work and that. But and, and, and you mentioned the younger chefs. So you'd be talking about a fair proportion of restaurants in terms of the business cycle would be at an early stage. And that again, presumably... The, the the restrictions that come in even if we're only one meter is going to be fairly um severe on all of those.
0: yeah I mean you know as I said you know everybody when they reopen is it's going to be a very personal journey. So you're talking about you know what what is your situation vis-a-vis your landlord? Uh is he giving you rent free? Is he giving you a deferred rent? Is he giving you a rent discount? Um and you know have you the thing about the restaurant industry is it's a huge capital injection at the start and it's like a j graph where the profit you know uh is not there for the first few years and and then the the graph starts to rise again and that's where you start to make your money back so there's a three to five year really before you can even start seeing return on what you've invested so you know, I suppose if you take somebody like myself, who's there twenty-seven years, I'm I'm at a different stage of the business cycle. So my stage is that, hopefully, that you know, you know, you don't have those large overheads, vis-a- vis-a-vis loans, bank loans, uh, so on and so forth. But I suppose, like anything, it depends on a business and how it's run. And I suppose you could probably say that any business that has been run prudently over the last couple of years then, you know, has a greater chance of survival than those that aren't. And I suppose that would be, you know, typical to any sector, really.
1: 29 of June is when restaurants are expected to open. Do you expect at that stage, Ross, all of those that can will open?
0: Um, broadly, I'm speaking to people in the industry and people are cautious. And, you know, you could kind of get a little bit of a Mexican standoff. Uh, where people are trying to re-enter the market where they think they have the best chance of survival because it's a bit like kind of coming down from space. I think if you re-enter too fast, you you know, you could burn up. And uh, because, you know, restaurants really, I think most people kind of shut their shops very quickly on March the 13th, or 14th. uh, They probably would have locked down any outgoings. And, uh, you know, some people may have paid their January, February suppliers uh, P30s revenues, and and some people won't. And I suppose there's a good deal of people who would just have left the money they had on deposit. So the issue is going to be, one of the issues is when people re-enter the market is, you know, what is your cash burn likely to be? And, of course, as soon as you open the door, I suppose the landlord's going to want rent. January and February, suppliers have to be paid. Revenue possibly will have to be paid, if not deferred for another while, and so on and so forth. So, you know, providing liquidity to restaurants on reopening, it's going to be very important because whatever they had, I think, in their bank accounts, uh, on March the 12th, or 14th is mostly still there, but will be used up very quickly when they reopen.
1: And of course, the clientele, um, I could speculate, in most sectors will be slow enough initially to come back.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you take, you know, if you take an example of somewhere like chapter one, sort of through the summer months, it's, you know, would be probably at least 40% uh, Um, non-nationals. That would include include sort of gastronomic tourists, um, huge amount from North America. Um, It would be business travelers who are traveling through or interested in food. Uh, People recommended from hotels. There would be conferences on, conventions on, and so on and so forth. And then the rest of my mix would be domestic, and that would be made up of kind of very regular people. Uh, the person who comes to me once or twice a year, right down to the chapter one lovers, as we'd call them who might come six, eight, ten times a year, so on and so forth. So if you would think that, you know, the other demographic we have got to consider is that the older, I suppose, person who's probably the more wealthy in society. So over 60, 65, say for instance, you know, they're probably going to be slow to come back out. So, When you're looking at the marketplace on reopening for somewhere like chapter one, you've got to think that like, okay, there's going to be a big hole here because there'll be no hotels, no tourists, no conferences, conventions, theater, for instance, the gate theater next to us probably won't be open and so on and so forth. So it's uh, it's really complex in terms of picking your time. So... You know, my thinking at the moment is that you know, I, I you have to you have to I'll have to see you know what subsidies are left in place. Uh, we will need things like wage subsidies left in place, uh, and and other uh, grants or subsidies. But I think providing loans for the industry that is not going to work because people are just going to be taking loans to kick them down the road, and I think a lot of people just won't be able to chew
1: that off, you know. In terms of the business cycle, I see where you're coming from. In terms of the employees, I mean, as you said yourself, it is a very mobile sector. You've chefs and uh, waiting staff and that who would go abroad for experience, come back, come and go. That, because of the nature of the pandemic, if things, and and inevitably there'll be job losses here, but the, the option of skipping over to London and taking up there will be pretty restricted as well, I would have thought.
0: So, I mean, you know, the restaurant industry is basically, it's manned by a a young, flexible, mobile workforce. And in actual fact, these people spend large parts of their early career really traveling the globe. And the opportunities that are out there are fantastic. And of course they are the first to do a few years training in Ireland and then they're skipping off and going to, you know, Australia. They might take in Asia. They could go to the States and so on and so forth. And, and, and some come back and some don't. Some some make their way in other countries. But, you know, there is nowhere to go now. And, you know, uh, looking at this two-meter rule, when I'm looking into our industry, I'm I'm just seeing catastrophe if that is how we are supposed to reopen. And, you know, it's, it's not going to be viable for most every restaurant, to be honest with you. And, you know, if it isn't, you know, can the sector be compensated? Because, you know, it's heart wrenching for, for, for everyone, I think, who has ever employed uh, even one person and goes and opens a business. There's so much put on the line. You know, it's it's their life, it's their passion, it's their every moment of their every day, and it's all encompassing, and it's all they think about, and uh, especially in the early years. Um, and that's going to be devastating for people, and it's going to be devastating for for staff uh, more so than anything,
1: really. Um, you mentioned personal journeys, Ross. Shutting down on thirteen to fourteen to March. You say you've been in the business, you've been there twenty-seven years. What was that like, and and at the time, did did you think or did you hope? Okay, this is a week or two, and then we'll just light off again, or what were your feelings around that?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, as they say, uh, Mick, you know, they don't. Uh, this is not something they teach in catering college, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I never thought I would. Uh, you know, it, it, essentially, it was a Saturday night service. I think it was the the Saturday of March the thirteenth uh, or fourteenth. I forget which one it was, but. Essentially, you know, news is coming down the track very quickly that uh, this pandemic was, you know, it was obviously very much here and that businesses would be, you know, asked to close. They weren't at that stage telling people to close, but there was kind of recommendations coming. Um, and I was kind of getting word from somebody I knew who worked in, in the um, social security offices to say, you know, they're on red alert for people, you know, coming coming their way and to prepare and so essentially we made a decision at that time and i gathered all the staff around on saturday i think around two o'clock before service and just said to them look this is getting very serious i can't guarantee that we'll open next week we're full on thursday friday saturday but this is going to change very quickly and uh, there's nothing really I can do about it that we can do about it. Um, and so I would kind of recommend that you know people go to the social Security office and apply on Monday morning and then we can see what's going to happen. And of course, you know, there are a lot of very shocked faces, and you know people are quite disheartened and uh, but we got on with Saturday service and it was a really kind of strange feeling actually leaving that day because uh, that night because I, I just kind of had this feeling that um initially, I thought that you know we this would be a matter of four or six weeks, and you know we you know something would happen and we'd bounce back in. I think nobody really thought about you know how long this would go on and what would be the consequences to reopening because I think most people thought in their hearts and souls that six weeks we bounce back in and business is still there and so on. But, you know, as, as it unfolded then, you know, you realise there, there there aren't going to be any hotels, there aren't going to be any tourists and this, that and the other. And I suppose I've been in Chapter 1 for 27 years and certainly it was kind of a really, really strange feeling to me. And um, it was kind of a feeling that, you know, you I, I, I just didn't, I had the strange feeling whether you knew you were going to go back in or not, which is quite strange. Maybe you know it's because i am been there for so long, so on and so forth. But you know, it's a very kind of ponderous time, and uh, in terms of thinking about kind of where you are uh, vis-a-vis your business, and you know, I suppose as you said, I'm at the other end of the cycle, and uh, it's not that I don't have a few more very good years left to me, but uh, it's a really strange thing to happen. This period
1: in my business life you know. On a practical level I'm just curious Ross as as you say it was very sudden what happens all the food that's in the restaurant?
0: Yeah so you know we locked up and locked the walk in and then you know over the next week or two it was kind of apparent that you know we weren't going in there was anything that could be put in the uh, freezer vis-a-vis like really good meats and all that kind of thing that we could put in the freezer and use staff food when we get back or so on and so forth that was all put away and then over a period of a week or two myself and my wife and daughters kind of undertook the task of going in and kind of turning off the fridges and clearing out the walk-in fridge which took you know taking stuff out there was no refuge collections it was taking all this kind of food and putting it into bags, the stuff that had gone off and taking it down to one of the recycling centres, the food dumps. and So it was, yeah, it was kind of... Um,
1: that must have been very strange feeling. Very
0: strange, you know, and then you're turning off, then you're going, oh, the fridge is still on, that one's still on, that, oh, jeez, we left all the fridges on, and <laughs> go around turn off all the fridges, and then, you know, you leave some of the wine fridges on because really good white wines couldn't couldn't end up getting warm, leave the the air conditioning on in the big wine cellars because wine can't, you know, go up and down in temperature, just locking things down and, you know, cleaning and putting cling wrap over things. And just, it was, yeah, it's quite strange because I tell you, to be honest with you, Mick. You know, when you, when you walk when you walk in, and I, I glance to the left through into the dining room, which you know, a restaurant and particularly a dining room are just real energy centres, and it's an exchange of energy. Actually, of what a restaurant is, it's a socialisation of food and the an exchange of energy. The, the preparation, the chefs, the energy of the chefs, changing the food, and then the wait staff serving it and customers engaging and coming up and coming down and it's like a play it's like a theater you know the curtain goes up goes back at nine in the morning and it it comes back over at 12 o'clock one o'clock at night and it's just full of actors and energy and parts to play and it's amazing to just see it all cloaked in darkness you know it's kind of like something on kind of a life support machine waiting to be turned back on. And it's a, it's a really, really strange feeling. Yeah, really strange.
1: I can well imagine. And and just similarly, your suppliers, I, I presume, would even have more food lying there. And again, I, does all that go to waste?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, look, you know, I think that, um, I think a lot of them gave it to charity from, from what I hear. And I've been speaking to... You know a good few of my suppliers are just such a base and seeing how they are and so on and so forth because you know when when the kind of carousel stops everybody gets really badly affected you know landlords are affected tenants are affected restaurants are affected staff are affected suppliers growers right back to the farmers you know and I suppose the difficulty then for suppliers is that, you know, having come through 2007, 2008, where, you know, we, you know, there was a huge amount of debt in the system and, you know, restaurants slowed down and, you know, lost 10, 20, 30, 40% of turnover and suppliers, a lot of them took a lot, a lot of uh, hits. And I suppose they're now looking at, uh, I'd say, a worse scenario, to be honest with you. And um, from what I hear, speaking to suppliers, You know, probably at best half and less than half, Uh, some people 25, 30 percent, some people half people have paid their January, February uh, supplier bills. So that's, you know, tsunami coming down to
1: them, unfortunately. It is. It's unfortunate all around. It's just one sector. And I suppose there's a lot like that. But in your sector in particular, Ross, I can hear it. There's a passion for the whole business of food. Where where did that come from? As I say, I know you a long time. It it wasn't something I think that you had initially. You 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 picked it up somewhere along the way, did you? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, the food community, uh, you know, is a great community, and and they are people who kind of live for today. They like a constant changing backdrop, and you know, I suppose they have they're people of generosity and big hearts, and you know, I kind of found a place in it because. You know, and you know, for myself, I, I went in the J1Vs and worked in the States and kind of fell in love with the industry. I, I love that constantly changing backdrop and the excitement uh, of it. And I kind of like night work and so on and so forth. And I decided that you couldn't own a restaurant without knowing the engine room. So I went off to London, as you know, and uh, I learned how to cook there. And uh, I think the day I walked into the, my first kitchen in Odin's in Devonshire Street was owned by the famous... Peter Langan and, and Richard Shepard and Michael Caine. And I, I kind of spent a few days in there and I just was fascinated by, by what was going on. And it just, you know, it, it, it found a place in my heart and uh, I felt that I could succeed at it. And uh, I suppose, you know, 35 years later, here I am, you know.
1: <laughs> and as I say, chapter one, it, it's, it's kind of at the top end of the market. Were you attracted to that kind of chefing? I was always attracted to
0: doing the best that I could possibly do. I suppose that's a very simple answer to that, you know. Um, I think I, a part of my DNA is um, I, I like, I'm, I'm a challenge-based person and I like getting to that box and ticking it. And um, I just, I suppose, have a, a, a good capacity to just keep going, you know, and uh, to try and get better all the time. And, you know, I suppose that's the thing that's helped me most with uh, getting to where I am today. And uh, I suppose it's challenging for people around me and so on and so forth because, you know, they'd be saying, Jesus Christ, you know, your man is successful enough. He's never happy, you know. (laughs) He's got one of the best restaurants in, you know, the country and, you know, business is good and so on and so forth. But it's a bit like, you know, kind of, climbing up the mountain and you know if you get to the peak then you've nowhere else to go so you kind of want to be about 90 percent of the way up all the time and to be honest with you that's what wears you out in the restaurant industry so it's great when you're young and you've boundless energy and passion but as i found out now in my fast approaching 56th year make it it doesn't stay with you all the time (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I, I, I think, to be fair, that, that is something that perhaps people who are not in the industry don't appreciate. There is serious hard work involved.
0: I mean, it's all consuming. And, you know, people ask me about, jeez, how are you getting on, you know, during this time? It must be really crazy for you. You know, you're always so busy and this, that and the other. And you must be missing it. And I say, do you know what? In actual fact, I'm loving the kind of this time and it kind of takes me back to the time we were in college where in the summers you got up and you just had nothing else to do except for what you wanted to do and i have never had a time in my 35 years career occasion where i have even had more than two and a half weeks off at a time and to get sort of 10 12 weeks off and to spend that time in this glorious weather uh you know a bit of swimming a bit of this that and the other you know it's been magnificent for me and so yeah i've i've I've, in a funny way i've 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 really enjoyed it but getting back to your point yeah it's a performance that you know you start thinking about at nine o'clock in the morning or eight when when you get up really to be honest with you it goes right through till very late at night and you know we've two restaurants employing 60 people so you know, I'm I'm performing a large part. You know, I'm, I'm in the kitchen with my head chef, uh, Eric Matthews, uh, a lot of the time, and you know, then whatever time I have over that, it's the administration of two businesses that employ sixty people. So, as you can imagine, uh, you know, there's not too much downtime. So, yeah, this is a strange but enjoyable time. Really enjoying spending time
1: with the kids that are, I, I really. Would never have spent this kind of time with my children. there's always, there's always an upside like that. I, I'm just curious, Ross. Does anyone ever invite you to dinner? Or would they be intimidated at the notion of cooking for you?
0: <laughs> I get about uh, out of every ten people that I invite to my house, I, I might get one or two back. I, I, every it's, most people kind of say, "Yeah, we must have you over." And I think, I think the the ladies in the house panic at the last minute. That Jesus, I can't have him over, no way. And the truth of it is, make I be happy with a hamburger, a pizza, some good company, and a good bottle of red, as you know.
1: I yeah, I know. I I invited you myself, and my wife said you're on your own. You never came anyway, which was a good in the <laughs> end. But it's um, having said that, you know, I mean, the the other thing is, and again, as you as you mentioned, the employees, it's a hugely um, stressful time for anybody in the business to the extent, particularly younger people, to the extent that, I suppose, of all the sectors, it's one of those that is really up in the air as to where it'll go in the future.
0: It's hugely up in the air. Now, I, I will say, Mick, that I'm a kind of a glass half full person myself and I am an optimist. And, and, I, and I do believe we will be looking back uh, at this time and, and this conversation we're having, which is very much focused on, on the, the, the short term and reopening, I do believe that things will return to normal. Of course, trends in the world that were happening are going to be accelerated by this, you know, vis-a-vis kind of online shopping, uh, you know, working from home, so on and
1: so forth. On that level, do you think that this other thing about work practices, for example, like you, I mentioned, your your, your second restaurant's in the, in the Google quarter and presumably you'd have a relatively steady flow of casual diners there, perhaps a Thursday, Friday evening and that thing. If work practices revert to far more working from home, do you think that will impact on the sector? It's going to be devastating. You know, the, the, the,
0: that's one of the changes, you know, you would like to think, and, and I would think that, you know, tourism w- will reignite and, you know, it might be mid to late next year, um, so on and so forth uh depending on you know whether we find something to treat the COVID or 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 a vaccine so on and so forth um and and people will of course relax again once more and, and they will enjoy going to a restaurant because it's about the socialization of food it's not just about eating um but you know those kind of changes are going to be huge because once the big employers in the tech industry are saying to people. Look, you know, we're going we don't want to see you back until December. You know you know what's happening is there's a, a lot of the uh, young workforce are actually moving back home to you know France and and Spain and so on and so forth, and they're going home to live with their parents and they're not paying rent in Dublin, and they're going to come back next 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 January. Now, in the meantime, you know th- this has a knock-on effect. So, you know, the other big employers, such as the more traditionals, the stockbrokers, banks, and so on and so forth, you know, they're talking about sort of hot-desking. You know, twenty percent. I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday in a big business in the middle of town. They employ seven hundred people, and they feel that you know they were going to they were going to move building, and now they feel that they're going to hot-desk two hundred people uh, out of seven hundred uh, at all times. Won't be in building this has massive consequences for cafes and shops and even retail and so on and so forth around it that is that that's an aspect that really worries me uh, for certainly for that mid casual coffee shop restaurant convenience thing you know I think for somewhere like Chapter One, you know you're talking about you know an occasion. nobody really comes to Chapter One once a week for their you know for their for their lunch. Or- so you know you you'd think you know but the thing about the upper end of the business is that it's going to be occupied by fewer people and it will be continually more expensive. The one trend that I'm hearing, and I spoke to a journalist in Italy yesterday, an Irish guy who works for San Pellegrino has spoken to, you know, all the, uh, a lot of the big restaurateurs around Europe and top chefs. And, you know, the one thing he says is coming back at him is that, you know, they feel that, you know, they're going to have to charge more and restaurants and certainly top and will get more expensive. That'll be for occasions. uh, But that was a trend that was happening
1: anyway. Okay, well, Ross, hopefully the the sun will shine again for the whole sector and for yourself going into the future. And hopefully we're going to get past this in some form or another. Great talking to you today, Ross, and thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks, Michael. And there's nothing sure than the sun will shine again
1: good stuff that's it for today folks Uh, I'd like to thank our engineer JJ Vernon thank you for listening you can get the podcast on SoundCloud Spotify iTunes all usual platforms you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff go easy enjoy the sun while it's there and keep your distance